When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. We have this song recorded, Deborah and Barack sing together. Um, when the celebration of the king, the death of the king um, happens, some expressions are used in this song that are maybe a little hard for to understand from a modern audience. This uh, celebration of when the locks are long in Israel, when the locks are long in Israel, when the hair is long in Israel, uh, seems to be an idiomatic expression of something. And maybe what it is is um, that the vow of the Nazarite, the Nazarites were people, men who took vows to not cut their hair and to Um, mark that outward symbol of an inward devotion to God. And Samson is one of these Nazarites, John the Baptist and others. So maybe it's, um, it's that. It may be a vow of vengeance that uh, they have sworn to resist their enemies and drive them out by taking a vow of vengeance uh, and not cutting their hair until they have fulfilled their vow, really outward symbol of an inward intention. I think uh, humans today are still very connected to our hair and its meaning. Um, If you see a friend that's had long hair and to cut it really short or someone that's growing their hair out, um, one of the main reasons I don't have a beard is because it it sparks endless discussion uh, (laughs) about the meaning of why I'm growing a beard. I don't know. Uh, that's the main reason I don't have one is because uh, I don't really want to talk about it. And yet when you have a beard or you're growing out a beard, it seems to be a subject of endless discussion um, by everyone. It's really, really something. But it is a very obvious, visible thing. And we do comment on each other's hair. Someone changes hair color uh, or something like that. So... That, that nothing has changed for 3,000 years since this was written. People are still making meaning and expressing their meaning through our hair. And here it is the men who are doing it. One of the keys to Hebrew poetry, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme uh, the way some modern poetry in English rhymes. Hebrew poetry has been analyzed by many, many, many people throughout the centuries to try to figure out why it's poetry versus um, just people writing stuff. Here it tells us that they sang a song, so we kind of know that's poetry when someone's singing something. But as far as all the other psalms and other poetic books of the Bible, um, it's kind of hard to imagine how they sang them. Our Anglican plain chant Uh, or Anglican chant, or Gregorian chant, or other ways of chanting the Psalms, or just ways that uh, Christians have come up with to set these Psalms to music. 
we can I try to share examples from like bands like liturgical folk and others who set the psalms to music but ultimately um, the poetry of the psalms is really odd to us as modern readers probably the only real feature of Hebrew poetry and you can see it in this first verse where it says when the locks are long in Israel when the people offer themselves willingly that Hebrew poetry technique is called parallelism it's basically that the first line says the same thing as the second line or to use more precise poetic language each couplet each couple lines a pair of lines go together and they form a complete thought or they express the same thought with different words in two different ways but it's the same thought which helps us interpret some of the parts of the Bible that are kind of hard to understand. Um, I'll use an example from our psalm today, Psalm 69. Psalm 69 starts out, uh, verse 2, I am sinking in deep mire, and there is no firm ground for my feet. Verse 3, I have come into deep waters, and the torrents wash over me. So line one, I have come into deep waters and the torrents wash over me are basically saying the same thing in just a slightly different way. Oh God, you know my foolishness. Parallel. And my faults are not hidden from you. So again, always the couplet is always saying the same thing Pretty much. There are lots of exceptions, of course. Uh, And in this one, you have the locks are long in Israel. And then the parallel line is when the people offer themselves willingly. So whatever the locks are doing on their head, it is a sign that the people are offering themselves willingly. So that gives us an interpretive clue on what this really strange expression, the locks are long in Israel does lend itself to this idea of a vow. People are giving themselves willingly to this vow to intend to do something. It's hard to know what the vow is for or what they're giving themselves willingly to until you read later um, that they are resisting the attacks of these kings that are trying to wipe them out. And this song goes on and on about the plunder that has been taken, the spoils of war that have been celebrated, and how God has fought for them. And then it says, Deborah arose as a mother in Israel. Um, I love that expression, Deborah arose as a mother in Israel. We need people to arise as mothers uh, for us, to defend us, to protect us. And I'm thankful for the women that have risen in our church to, to protect us, to defend us, to speak the truth, to teach, to lead to care. Um, So much of um, women's work historically has been subjugated to the peripheral realms, to the outside circle, behind the scenes, all those sorts of things. And yet here, 3,000 years ago, is an example of a mother in Israel who rises up very publicly and very visibly. And here she is singing this song. Today marks the anniversary of the Philadelphia 11. The Philadelphia 11 were 11 women who were the first 
women ordained in the Episcopal Church in Philadelphia. They were ordained irregularly. Um, General Convention had not agreed that women should be ordained yet. They had tried many times to get this passed at General Convention, and General Convention had uh, voted it down numerous times. And several bishops gathered in Philadelphia with these women who had trained for the priesthood, who had, were well-prepared educationally and, and had done the discernment, but they were still waiting for that general convention approval, and they just ordained them because they realized that was the right thing to do. And so the Philadelphia 11 sent a shockwave through the church in many ways, and then everyone realized, oh, we can do this. Let's keep doing it. And ever since then, women's ordination has been a normative thing in the Episcopal Church. These mothers in Israel have risen up um, and have led us into good places, um, into fertile and green fields, as the song says, into the valley. Um, so this vision of, um, of God's victory by raising up Deborah is also paralleled with the reluctance of certain tribes to help in these battles. The tribes are named as not helping, not coming to their aid, of hanging back. Um, And this will become the fault lines that will divide the nation of Israel into two parts, the civil war that happens after Solomon's death. Um, These are the beginnings of those fault lines. If some outliers saying, we don't need to participate in the battles that are happening far away from us. I think this is also um, helpful for us today. Um, Whenever we see a battle that doesn't involve us, it's easy to say, that's their fight. I'm not going to get involved. And when it comes to justice and mercy and love, uh, when we do that, we often um, find that the battle comes to our doorstep um, eventually when we don't stand up for trans people's ability to live among us and live um, in our society and function as people that like everyone else can do using restrooms and participating in sports and all these other things, we make these um, harsh exceptions and single them out for particular scrutiny and um, all sorts of other indignities. Um, We find that it, it always has a way of coming out to our doorstep if we're not uh, trans people ourselves. Um, when something becomes personal, we, we will join in. But until it does, it's really hard often to get allies to come to your aid. And this, is, this happens in the story of Deborah and Barak, that these other folks that are not affected by these invasions don't come to their help. And yet this is the time to come to someone's help when you realize that their lives are being threatened this is when we come and, and help out as best we can. Um, saying it's not my fight um, sometimes is, um, is the, follows the example of these tribes that refuse to participate. Um, we have to use discernment of when to do this and when not to do it. And that is sort of the task of the Christian life is to know what to get involved in and what not to get involved in. Um, and everyone has to make that determination for themselves. But these examples in the book of Judges of people that decided not to participate um, when God was working um, are always uh, there for us to notice and see 
and be warned by that um, we don't want to miss the bus of God's grace. We don't want to miss the bus of God's deliverance. We want to be uh, participating in what we can for God's glory. Amen. O ruler of the universe, Lord God, great deeds are they that you have done, surpassing human understanding. Your ways are ways of righteousness and truth, O King of all the ages. Who can fail to do you homage, Lord, and sing the praises of your name? For you only are the Holy One. All nations will draw near and fall down before you because your just and holy works have been revealed. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Today the Church celebrates the feast of Mary and Martha of Bethany. Mary and Martha of Bethany are um, really Jesus' friends um, in a way that nobody else in the gospel stories quite um, fit that description for Jesus. Um, Jesus' disciples are certainly friends. He calls them friends. But a lot of times they're, they're kind of the, the chuckleheads in the youth group, you know, um, at times. And other times they're there for him and friends. But Mary and Martha, and Lazarus too, but here today we celebrate especially Mary and Martha, are really his um, friends, and they're really not described in any other way. Um, And they're also disciples. They seem to show that sometimes the disciples did not travel around with Jesus, Um, especially Mary sitting at Jesus' feet as a disciple, as an apostle. Uh, We remember her. But in the contrast of Mary and Martha in that classic scene where Mary's working and Martha is um, Mary's listening and Martha is serving, um, which we preached about a couple of weeks ago, um, many people have felt a lot of sympathy for Martha. Among them are the um, engineers, engineers uh, in the Army, the Corps of Engineers in the U.S. Army and the Royal Uh, Corps of Engineers in the British Army often were called the Sons of Martha. And I had the privilege of being an army chaplain for an engineer unit, and my commander would often read this poem to us. So I'm going to read a Rudyard Kipling poem to you about Mary and Martha and the engineers. The sons of Mary seldom bother, for they have inherited that good part. But the sons of Martha favor their mother of the careful soul and the troubled heart. And because she lost her temper once, and because she was rude to the Lord, her guest, her sons must wait upon Mary's sons, world without end, reprieve or rest. It is their care in all the ages to take the buffet and cushion the shock. Excuse me. It is in their care in all the ages to take the buffet and cushion the shock. It is their care that the gear engages. It is their care that the switches lock. It is their care that the wheels run truly. It is their care to embark and entrain.
tally, transport, and deliver duly the sons of Mary by land and main. They say to the mountains, be ye removed. They say to the lesser floods, be dry. Under their rods are the rocks reproved. They are not afraid of that which is high. Then do the tops of the hills shake to the summit. Then is the bed of the deep laid bare, that the sons of Mary may overcome it, pleasantly sleeping, unaware. They finger death at their glove's end, where they pierce and repiece the living wires. He rears against the gates they tend. They feed him hungry behind their fires. Early at dawn, ere men see clear, they stumble into his terrible stall and hale him forth like a haltered steer and goad and turn him till even fall. To these from birth is belief forbidden, from these till death is relief afar. They are concerned with matters hidden under the earth line their altars are. The secret fountains to follow up, waters withdrawn to restore to the mouth and gather the floods as in a cup and pour them again at a city's drouth. They do not preach that their God will rouse them a little before the nuts work loose. They do not teach that his pity allows them to leave their job when, the, when they damn well choose. As in the throng and lighted ways, so in the dark and in the desert they stand, wary and watchful all their days that their brethren's days may be long in the land. Raise ye the stone or cleave the wood to make a path more fair or flat. Lo, it is black already with blood, some son of Martha spilled for that. Not as a ladder from earth to heaven, not as a witness to any creed, but simple service simply given to his own kind in their common need. And the sons of Mary smile and are blessed. They know the angels are on their side. They know in them is the grace confessed and for them are the mercies multiplied. They sit at the feet, they hear the word, they see how truly the promise runs. They have cast their burden upon the Lord and the Lord, he lays it on Martha's sons. Anyway, that's Rudyard Kipling, uh, the sons of Martha. And we remember Mary and Martha who used both of their gifts to follow Jesus in their day. I love that question that Martha asked Jesus or statement she makes to him when Lazarus is dead and Jesus has delayed in coming. Um, and she's mad and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think both her statement of doubt that he can do anything about the death, but in that doubt is a kernel of faith too that Jesus could have done something if he was there. Um, and sometimes that is all our faith is. It's just a small little kernel saying, if God had been here, if Jesus had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And even that is a seed of faith. And we celebrate Mary and Martha today. Martha and Mary as well. O God, Heavenly Father, your son Jesus Christ enjoyed rest and refreshment in the home of Mary and Martha of Bethany. Give us the will to love you Open our hearts to hear you. 
and strengthen our hands to serve you and others for his sake, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray a colic for Fridays. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. And a colic for mission on 101. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen.